You're listening to Clearing the Haze, episode number 78, the confusing issue for employers. Do we test for marijuana or not? Keeping today's workplace drug-free should not be confusing. This is the Clearing the Haze podcast, giving you the tools you need to most effectively address drug and alcohol use and decreased productivity in the workplace while investing in your positive company image. Now, here's your host, Chuck Marting. Do not be embarrassed by your failures. Learn from them and start again. Richard Branson In May, I was able to attend the Indesa National Conference and also speak at that conference. It was an incredible opportunity to be able to see everybody again, and that was the one thing that I kept hearing from everybody, that it was such an awesome opportunity to go out and have live, in-person training again, and how that interaction that we all had was something that was sorely missed over the last couple of years with COVID. Well, I've got to tell you, there's another incredible opportunity for that training again. This time, September 23rd in Rapid City, South Dakota, a regional training opportunity for those of you that were maybe not able to attend the Endesa conference. Here's your opportunity to get some training in before the end of the year. This day-long training opportunity will have the main focus of the FMCSA Clearinghouse, where guest speaker Gina Marshall, who's the program manager, will be there speaking. You'll also have the opportunity to listen to Jan Corman of Core Management Services speak on reasonable suspicion in the workplace. And then, of course, I will be speaking at this as well as on the Workplace Drug Impairment Recognition Training. This is an incredible opportunity for you to get a day of training in a beautiful area and the opportunity to associate and to be able to see other people within our industry for more information, please go to coremanagementservices.com slash upcoming dash courses to be able to see information on the training and also the opportunity for you to register for the training. You're not going to want to miss this. It's going to be an incredible opportunity. In case you missed the registration address, I will include that in the show notes so you'll be able to go to that and be able to click on the link to be able to find out more information on this training. And now, on to this week's podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Clearing the Haze. I'm your host, Chuck Marting. You know, I've had clients coming to me expressing concerns that we've talked about before here on Clearing the Haze, and that's in dealing with marijuana. Now, I know we've talked about this on Clearing the Haze before, and, you know, about people choosing to no longer test for marijuana and their position on it. And if you don't know what my position is on this, I think this is a very big mistake for people not to continue to test for marijuana in the workplace. And I'll explain to you in just a few minutes why I feel this way. But this topic seems to keep raising its ugly head on a more continuous basis now. And it just came back up again, like I said, in the last couple of uh, call-outs that we had with people just in the last 48 hours. The first one is a, is a national client that we have, and the supervisor brought an individual in for a post-accident drug and alcohol test. Now, this was a non-DOT test. It wasn't DOT, so it wasn't a federally 
regulated or required drug and alcohol test. And as we're getting ready to perform the test for this individual, we were in contact with the DER who shared with us her frustration that she was informed by her employer that day that they had announced that the company is no longer going to be drug testing their non-DOT employees. Other than safety-sensitive positions within their company, uh, they're the only ones that will be continue to be tested. Tested, and this, you know, this in and of itself boggles my mind, especially since we're here doing a post-accident drug test for them on an individual who just accidentally cut their ear off and had to have it reattached at the hospital. We, of course, asked why would they do this, and the response that the DER gave us was that they had been told that it is just easier for them to just pay out in these situations than it is for them to have to have the hassle of trying to, you know, find people and worry about them passing their drug test. They would just rather pay it when these situations come up than having to deal with it. This, again, boggles my mind because it's not only marijuana that they're going to be missing, but any other drugs out there that these employees could be using, abusing, or have an addiction issue for. So I already had this going on, running around in my mind, trying to figure out how to best address this issue with this client. And then early this morning, I went out on a post-accident test for another employer who is also a national account. And, you know, as I began to talk to that supervisor, I was told by him you know, my surprise to hear from them since I hadn't heard anything from this client in quite a while. And this was quite unusual because we would get calls from them quite often because they are a very busy company. They have a lot of employees. And of course, with the pace that they are sitting within the workplace, they do have a lot of post accidents. So it wasn't uncommon for us to get called out, you know, anywhere from two or more times a week just for post accidents. And then as I was talking to this supervisor about it, he said, yeah, I know. He says, you know, what's even more strange is that we are no longer testing for marijuana for our pre-employment. Now, we are testing for for reasonable suspicion and for post-accidents, but not for pre-employment. And I asked him, well, why is that? And he stated, they feel that they are not able to hire anybody because they've been smoking marijuana or that they're losing out on employees because of this and it's preventing them from applying with the company. He also said the other thing that they're dealing with is the distance that people are having to travel to come out. This is a company that's out by the airport. And the other thing was the amount of pay that they're paying, that they're having to deal with a different set of individuals that are coming into the workplace that were people that, in his words, are people that normally would not have been applying for these positions, but they are now. And so the issue that they're dealing with is the overwhelming amount of positive drug tests that they get for specifically marijuana. I found this to be very telling. This has also become a very confusing issue for their employees because they don't test for it as a pre-employment requirement, but they do test for marijuana on a reasonable suspicion or post-accident basis. I can tell you right now with this specific employer, 
that we've had individuals come into our workplace and still give us synthetic urine when doing their drug test. And then in our conversation with the employee, explaining to them that they don't even test for marijuana, the employees, not one, but many of them come back and tell us the same thing, which is, yeah, that's what they said, but I didn't know if they were setting me up or not. And so this is what I did. Even when we've caught these individuals with synthetic urine or other people's urine and have notified the supervisor, when they contact the other supervisors or even the DER, they're advised to have the individual retest, not to have it under observation because it's a non-DOT test, and to test it at that point. The individual would end up coming back positive for marijuana or other drugs, and we would notify them. And then they would just instruct the employee to come back, and they would talk and sit down with them and make arrangements for them to be able to continue to work. Then when they come in for these post-accidents and reasonable suspicion, it's so hard to get buy-in from your supervisors because it's a procedure that they're just going through the motions. There's no teeth. There's no discipline. There's no nothing as far as being responsible for you just caused an accident. And one of the contributing factors could be that you have this substance in your system that has caused you to not to be at your peak or your 100% in performing your job duties. Now, I don't know what it's going to take for us to explain to supervisors about a second chance policy. As I spoke to this supervisor and as I told other clients that I have, look, don't ignore individuals that you think that everybody is smoking marijuana because one, I can tell you right now, that is not true. But you feel that an overwhelming number of your employees that are applying are smoking marijuana. So one of the things that we've explained to them is that you can still test for these individuals for pre-employment marijuana use. Now, there are some states, of course, like Nevada, that you're not able to do that. But in the state of Colorado, where we're at and maybe where you're at, they can still test for marijuana. I would still recommend testing for it. You're not having to not hire that individual because they come back positive. You can institute your second chance policy, sit down with them, let them know what your expectations are while they're in the workplace, why it's important that they are sober when they come in the workplace and ensure that they haven't been using these substances, and then go from there. Allowing this person to also know that your policy is that if they are contacted for a reasonable suspicion test or for a post-accident, they will be tested for marijuana because these can be the contributing factors for the behavior or the accident that you've witnessed or you've experienced with this person in the workplace and may have contributed to it. So this is what my recommendation has been with these individuals regarding their testing for marijuana. My whole point in bringing this up here on Clearing the Haze and on this topic is this. This is going to be something that we're seeing more and more of. Many of you have probably seen more and more of this coming through, especially after COVID, because people were partaking in things that they probably normally wouldn't because of stress and other circumstances that were brought about because of COVID. 
individuals turn to marijuana, alcohol, and other substances for therapy, for something to help them with and dealing with whatever it is that they were dealing with. So I get it. I understand that. However, now that we have these individuals coming back to work, they have to go back into compliance with our workplace drug and alcohol policies. And this becomes another issue is that how many of your clients have actually updated their policies or even reflect what their policies currently are. That is going to be another podcast in and of itself because we're spending a lot of time updating policies and also helping people develop new policies because those policies are so far out of date. But with this topic here, what is really concerning me right now is that in many parts of the country, we have been dealing with the legalization of marijuana for years now and also medical marijuana for a lot of years as well. But yet we're still having to deal with it in the workplace like this where individuals are still failing their tests. We have individuals still giving us synthetic urine, in most cases as an insurance policy to make sure they're going to be able to pass that drug test so that they can be employed. Now, what do you do? I don't know. I think it's the best thing that we've done is is the advice that I'm giving you right now. And I highly encourage any of you that if you have other ideas or other things that have worked for you, please share them and we'll share them here on Killer in the Haze. But this, my friends, is what concerns me even more. We are still dealing with the acceptance and what to do in the workplace with marijuana after years of knowing that it's in our workplaces, after years of knowing that it's been legalized for recreational or even medical use in most states. Now we're looking at the same type of playbook being played when it comes to psychedelic drugs. We have a big push right now to legalize the use of MDMA or ecstasy, psilocybin mushrooms, ketamine, and other disassociative anesthetics that are causing an issue. They will be a bigger issue, in my opinion, once they start becoming more prevalent in the workplace. Right now, the push for using these or even trying to legalize this is to study how they are used in the treatment of PTSD. And what's interesting when you start looking at this topic is the reason why they're turning to this is because nothing else that they are using, none of the modern day technology that they have, has been overly effective in addressing PTSD with individuals. And so they're wanting to use this. Now, let me explain to you, when you're using these psychedelic drugs, you're dealing with a drug that in most cases is going to cause both auditory and visual hallucinations. People experiencing things that are not there or they perceive them as being there. And let me tell you something. I have been out and seen individuals after they have consumed these type of drugs and the reactions that they have had. These are very real experiences to these individuals. They honestly think that these things are going on, and it's a hallucination. The whole amount of it is. 
a hallucination. But to them, because it is such a real experience, they go through everything, whether it's violence, whether it's happiness, whether it's um, panic. You know, there's, there's all kinds of different reactions with individuals when they start using these type of drugs. And my fear is with us trying to learn how to deal with this in the workplace with marijuana, we're having a hard time dealing with that. Now, let's just go ahead and muddy the waters even further and bring these drugs into the workplace. This seems like a no-win situation for an employer. We're going to be dealing with individuals who are going to have even more workplace accidents injuries, and God forbid, deaths. Because I can tell you right now, the experiences these individuals have, depending on the flashback or the hallucination that they experience in that situation being very real to them, they're going to respond. I can share with you that one of the experiences that I had was an individual in the city that I was in as a police officer that uh, we had a report of this lady driving erratically through the city cutting cars off, hitting cars that were parked, and she was finally stopped at an intersection after crashing her car. And when one of the responding officers that was trying to stop her walked up to her window and started talking to her, or he tried to talk to her, she started yelling, the devil hearts are chasing me. The devil hearts are chasing me. And as he looks over, she has a loaded crossbow sitting on the passenger seat of the vehicle. This, my friends, was the hallucination that she was experiencing after having LSD. Okay? This was a very, very real experience to her. And she um, honestly felt that she was in danger. And that was what she was doing. She was fearing for her life. This is the type of things that we could be looking at in the workplace. These experiences where somebody sees something that really isn't there. Now you as a supervisor are going to have to talk to this person and reassure them that what they're experiencing isn't real. And it is very, very hard to try and calm these individuals. I've been there. I've tried doing it, and it is hard. I can only imagine right now what our employers are going to face with this. Now, PTSD, God love our veterans. God love these guys that have had to go and do the things that they have done for our freedom and for our ability to live in this country. I, I love these guys. My father was a veteran. I get it. And I have so much respect and admiration for these men and women that have gone and done this selflessly on our behalf. I have gone out on calls with individuals going through PTSD and having flashbacks and their families scared to death because of what these individuals experience This past week, we've had the 4th of July. For me, when I work the streets, and for many officers, they'll tell you that it is one time during the year that we really have a lot of individuals that have PTSD that suffer the most. And it's because of the fireworks, the explosions, all those things. You end up getting called out because 
it just initiates that whole flashback and experience for these veterans or these people that have PTSD. It triggers it. And I remember, and I know I've gone to homes where a person felt that they were right back in Afghanistan again and that they were experiencing everything all over again. Here's what my fear is, is these individuals go right back into having a flashback, both visually and auditorily. And we're now going to give them a substance, a drug that already causes that to happen. So the individual is going to now have flashbacks. They could have visual and auditory hallucinations because of a drug that they're taking that's supposed to help them. I, I have a hard time understanding on the therapeutic side of this how introducing a, a, a drug that induces these types of behaviors is going to be able to help somebody because it's just unpredictable. You never know what type of visual or auditory hallucination the person's going to have until it's you're right in the middle of it. I think it's a very dangerous thing to be giving these substances to anyone that could then go into the workplace. Now think about this. How hard is it for us to get individuals to tell us in the workplace that they've even taken medications because they don't want you to know why they're taking these medications, okay? Most of the time we find out about their medication use when we're doing either random tests or a reasonable suspicion test or maybe even a post-accident. That's when they advise, hey, I got my medications. Some of them have even gone as far as bringing them in with them. And then we have to explain to them that we're not the ones that are going to be needing to make that verification for them, that a medical doctor would do that, and they don't, they don't have to tell us about it. But we have many of them that still do because they're, they're scared, they're nervous, they, they want that reassurance that they're going to be okay. Now, try and understand where I'm going with on this with these psychedelic drugs. Now, because we have such a hard time even getting them to tell us about prescription drugs, do you really think we're going to have individuals coming to us and telling us they're being treated with these drugs for PTSD? I seriously doubt it. You may have some men or women that are going to come to their employer because they have such a good relationship with that employer and they want them to know. And you know what? If you're able to work with these people and you're wanting to make sure that they are getting the treatment necessary or the support that they need, then that's great. I'm looking at the individuals that are scared to come to you as an employer and tell you that they're taking these drugs and then we experience something occurring within the workplace. That's what my greatest fear is. If you have the opportunity, if you want to see what I'm talking about, type in ketamine pain clinics in your area. How many of you knew that we had ketamine clinics specifically for pain management? This also is a drug that causes hallucinations. It's an analog of PCP, and it will cause these individuals to have visual and auditorial hallucinations. It's scary, the roads that we're going down. Um, I don't know what the answer to this is going to be other than prevention. And I think and feel that the greatest prevention tool that we have 
for an employer is drug and alcohol testing in the workplace. I think the perception that we're doing this to get rid of them, to fire them, is a perception that is falsely executed out there. It's falsely given. Now, the reason I say that, why would you have to wait for that if you want to get rid of somebody? There's so many other things within the workplace that you could look at and and do and find in order to get rid of somebody, quote unquote. But that is not the perception that is given out there. So we're having to deal with that as well, ladies and gentlemen. So I think that one of the best things, suggestions that I have for you in addressing this topic with employers is one, you've got to have a good line of communication with your clients. You need to talk to your DERs. You need to express to them the importance of continuing to have not only a drug-free workplace, but also to continue doing their drug and alcohol testing as they have. Sit down and listen to their concerns. Sit down and allow them to share with you what it is that is going on within their company. And listen. Don't talk. Don't interrupt. Listen. Get it all out so you understand where it is they are coming from. And then address those concerns. Explain to them how we can best serve them and still meet that standard of safety that they deserve to have in the workplace. We have got to have better communication with our employers and our clients. That's one of the things that we've been talking about in the Employer Employer Rights Committee in in DESA. We have many people throughout the country that are on that board, and we meet once a month to discuss topics such as this, as to how is the best way to address this in the workplace, giving our clients and our employers the tools they need to be able to effectively address this and still have a viable workplace. That's what we all want, and I think that's what we need to come to grips with, that we have a lot of the tools and a lot of the answers, but we need to go to them and not wait for them to come to us. That is something that we need to be is very proactive with this, and I can guarantee you that when you do this, you're going to start building better, stronger relationships with these employers and with these clients that you have And when they have these questions about drug and alcohol testing, you're the first one they're going to come to. They're not going to turn to Google. They're not going to go to Facebook. They're not going to go to LinkedIn. They're not going to go into all these other places looking for those answers. If they know they can come to you directly. Now, for those of you that may not feel that you have the answers or that you don't feel that you can adequately talk to a client to help them understand what it is that they're going to be facing if they don't continue to do these things. We have many individuals in this workplace, in this industry rather, that can help you with that. I am one of those individuals, okay? I would be honored to be able to help you or to help your clients in understanding the importance of doing drug testing and to continue doing that if I can help in any way you can get a hold of me here on Clearing the Haze. Um, you can get a hold of my in, in my email address. I'll have that in our show notes. I'll have my personal number in there. Please get a hold of me. 
I, I, this, I love doing this stuff. This is something that I can do to help you and to help other people. And if I can help you in going through this once with one of your clients and it makes a difference, you're going to know how to handle this with your next client that has the same type of concerns and the next one. So let's help each other. Let's get this taken care of so that you're viewed and seen as the asset that you should be for that client and not be viewed as that one thing that we have to do that we're just hoping we don't get a phone call that this person gave us synthetic urine or they cheated on their drug test or they failed their drug test. Okay. Let's get this taken care of. Let's all enjoy what it is that we do. And that's in helping making sure that not only our communities are safe, but our employers and our workplaces are a safe place for people to be in. Because that's the bottom line. That's what we're all in here for. That's what we do. You know, and that's what I share with everybody on a daily basis is, hey, I'm here to help you. So I hope that this has made sense to you. This is just some random thoughts that I've had over the last, like I said, 48 hours. And I know that we've we've talked about some of these issues in the past. Um, and we're going to continue to talk about them because guess what? They're just not going away. And we're still having to continue to deal with them. So I am grateful for the opportunity to be here today and have you listen to this podcast. And I hope that it gave you some information that you had not thought of previously or giving you the opportunity to go to your clients and others to address these type of concerns. So in closing, we'd like to ask that if you would share this episode with those in our industry that you know would benefit from it, that would be much appreciated. But until next week, when we bring you another episode of Clearing the Haze, remember, it's your vision, it's your dream, and it's your business. Take care.